Thank you for the spirit of revelation that's in here. Thank you for the angels that are here, God. Lord, we just, whoa, we just want to hear from you. Lord, I, I, I just want to be a faithful steward to what you're saying tonight. So I need your help. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Strengthen me. Strengthen each person here, even tonight. Thank you for anointing ears to hear exactly what you want to say. And um, thank, thank you, Lord. Lord, I bless the destiny of each person here, Lord. I bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, one of the reasons I like settings like this, I really like settings like this, is because I'm kind of able to just step back a little bit and sometimes explain what's taking place. And um, one of the things I, I really uh, just try and really zero in on is... Uh, when I'm going to a place to a ministry, I, I live with the consciousness that I never assume that I know what God is doing. And it's like a real like core value to me. Maybe one of these sessions, I'll just go through some core values that I, I, I like to define my life by. And so when I uh, just am preparing for a meeting and... Um, I often just ask the Lord what, what he wants to do in a meeting. And uh, I used to, when I when I first really, uh, God began to opening doors and I was traveling, I used to many times, uh, because I wasn't used to that type of understanding, I would sit with a yellow pad, usually in a hotel room, and just ask the Lord what he's going to do. And I, the Lord would just show me everything he was going to do in the meeting. And um, I just used to write it all down, and I would mostly see it or hear it, and I could, um, I would literally stand up to minister, and I would stand with this yellow pad, and I would say, there's somebody here on the right side, and you have this wrong with you, and the Lord's going to, he would tell me, I'm going to heal people before you even teach, and, and that, that's exactly what would happen. And um, as I've gone over the years, and what you'll learn is, as you walk with the Lord, if you're faithful to step into something um, it's like a rubber band. It, it stretches you, and it just stretches you even more and more and more. And uh, as I've become more accustomed to the voice of God, I don't necessarily need to write it down, but when I was just kind of driving up here, I was like, well, what do you want to do tonight, Lord? And he said, I want you to prophesy over Martinsville. And sometimes I have the whole word when I stand up, and... Uh, other times, I didn't have a clue of what I was going to stay when I stood up. I just went with one word because we step into everything by faith, and I just began to release it by faith. And as I stepped into faith, what I initially heard, I began to see pictures, and I began to see different things that would add to what's happening. So that's what just happened there from my end. And it was fun. <laughs> so... Um, that's what's happening. And now I'm about to teach, and I sort of know where I'm going, but I don't fully know where I'm going to go. So if you have your Bibles, look at Genesis uh, chapter 1. Genesis, the, the first chapter. Genesis, is, uh, Genesis means book of origins, book of beginnings. And you can learn a lot by reading Genesis uh, into how God thinks and how God operates, good understanding of the nature of God and how he uh, works with humanity 
is found from Genesis through Revelation. Jesus did not just show up in the New Testament. <laughs> you got to say that sometimes as people think that God just kind of showed up or the Son just kind of showed up there in the New Testament and he suddenly appeared on the scene. But good, good theology runs um, from Genesis to Revelation. And uh, even in the very first verse, the Lord begins to establish something here. And he said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that's really, really fascinating to me. Uh, if you're ever reading the Bible and uh, there's something that just pops out at you about a scripture, the Lord is trying to hook you into either experience or understanding with what he's speaking. And uh, this is one of these verses that sticks out to me. There's, <laughs> there's a lot. But in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that's fascinating to me on a number of levels that God created heaven. Because there's a theme that will run throughout scripture. And that is that we, our understanding will later, as we'll, as, as we'll be, if we'll be good students of scripture, we'll begin to understand that uh, in heaven, God is Lord over all. That's significant because on the earth, he created the heavens and the earth, and he created with the intention that he would be Lord of, over all. But in Genesis uh, uh, 1 verse 26, we'll read in a moment that he actually made man the steward of the earth. That's, it's incredibly fascinating to me on a number of levels. But he, he creates the heavens and the earth, and in heaven, there is no conflict of who is Lord. <laughs> and he speaks the universe into existence. And one of the things uh, I want to point out here in Genesis 1 verse 11, it said, then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed bearing plants, trees on the land that bear fruit, seed in it according to their various kinds. And it was so. And verse 12 says, and the land produced veg vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kind, trees bearing fruit with seed and according to their kind. And God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning and the third day. It's interesting that he created seed bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it. And he called them to reproduce after, him, after themselves. Excuse me. Verse 22 says this. And God blessed it. And then he said again, be fruitful, increase in number and fill the waters in the sea and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening, there was morning and the fifth day. So he calls once again, the creation that he speaks to reproduce after itself. Verse 24, and let the lands produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock creatures moving along the ground and wild animals, each according to its kind. And so, and it was so, and God made the wild animals according to their kind and livestock according to their kind and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their God. And God saw that it was good. Again, he calls the creation that he speaks to, to reproduce after itself. What's the point I'm trying to make? Everything that God made, and you read in, uh, we'll read it in a moment, well, I'll just read it now. He said, God saw that it was good, and it was very good. Everything that God made was in complete perfection. Everything that he made had a certain, uh, the language that we have for it, in, 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 to give us understanding that he made it glorious. He expressed his glory through creation. And one of the reasons why he called creation to reproduce after itself was because heaven 
uh, earth was to be an extension of heaven where he was Lord. And when he called it to reproduce after itself, he called it to reproduce after itself because every reproduction of what he had made in complete perfection was an increase and expanse of his glory in the earth. Really, really important. And then the paramount of all creation was this. Verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over the livestock and over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Then God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. There's a, a, a number of principles, again, that the, the Lord opens, God opens up to us in, in this passage of Scripture. Number one is he makes man in his image. Image is likeness, resemblance, patterned after something. It's, uh, it's, it's just an absolute difficult thing for humanity to grab its hand around that God made us in his image. He made us in his likeness and that we, and he made humanity to be the closest thing to God upon the earth. It's such a divine mystery that it's difficult to put language to us. Now, we are not little gods. I am not a little god. I'm a little man from New Jersey. <laughs> I'm good looking, but I'm still not God. <laughs> but you were the closest thing to God upon the earth. Because he made you in his image and his resemblance. And then he said, God bless them. And he also said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. So... Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every living creature that moves on the ground. Uh, one thing I want to point about the image of God is that because we were made in the image and the likeness of God, everyone is wired. Everyone has uh, an operating system that you are absolutely need God. You were created to live out of a realm of glory. And without connecting with that glory, you'll look everywhere to fill it. You'll look, everybody is, everybody's filling that need in their life, whether they have committed their life to God or not, everybody is filling their life with something to uh, meet that void in their life of the image of God. And the second thing is this, when God created humanity, he said, God bless them, be fruitful and increase in number. Once again, we find that concept of multiplication and increase. Fill the earth and subdue it. Actually, the, the, the one other thing I want to point out, 1 verse 26, in the original Hebrew, and does anyone have the Amplified tonight? Makes it louder. Why don't you read 126? I want to point something out. That was a joke. If you read the Amplified, it's louder. <laughs> Some of you will get that later. Then God said, let us make man. Hold on one sec. Can I grab this for you? Yeah, yeah. that was right. Oh, so this is amplified? Oh, okay. Yeah, amplified. Yeah, read it. Read okay. because th it really emphasized something I want to point out. God said, let us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, make mankind in our image after our likeness, and let them have complete authority oh, over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the 
tame beasts and over all the earth and over everything that creeps upon the earth. The, the key thing I want to point out there is that one of the first things that God models and one of the foundational principles of life in the kingdom of God is a family. You had the three distinct persons, again, this, like, I don't, I grew up in church, and I'd go to VBS, and they would do these things with the egg and all this stuff, and it just totally screwed it up, quite honestly. I know they were trying to do a, a good job, but it's a mystery. There were three distinct persons, but they were one God. In fact, Hebrew scholars are mystified. In fact, it's one of the criticisms of Islam, of Christianity. Like, well, you serve multiple gods because in the original language, actually, it's almost like there, there's three distinct persons there. But what's the point of that? They were three distinct but made up of one God, and it modeled a family. And then God, who modeled a family, created man. Man needed God to be created. God says it's not a suitable that he should be alone, and he makes woman out of man. What's the point? We all need each other. It didn't mean that man was supposed to lord over woman. <laughs> Another thought. Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. Now, this is, this is also really cool. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit in it, they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give you every green plant and it was so. And God saw that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning in the sixth day. The heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. Second thing that, that God did out of making man in his image, he, it's the only thing in creation that it says that he made in his image. Uh, they, they would be, uh, he gave us, because we were made in his image, he gave them, he gave us humanity responsibility and made them a steward and a co-laborer over all the earth. And that represented it, humanity's great significance upon the earth and being made in the image of God gives everyone with a deep desire to be significant. Everyone instinctly inside of them desires to want to do great because they were made in the image of God. Has it been distorted? Has it been misunderstood even by the world system? Yes, but everyone instinctly is created with this deep sense that I... I, I am put here for something great. And if it's not rooted in intimate knowledge and communion with the glory of God, it can certainly be distorted. But it is still God's very intention that you would steward the world in which you live in. One of the worst things that people can feel, especially you find it in inner healing or counseling, is to feel like they don't have control of their own life. That's why we often have to do detox with people who have been in controlling religious systems. No, really, because it's, it's not God's intention and it distorts the image of who God made people to be. It was 
Calvin who coined the term common grace. And basically the concept was that there was grace in the earth that upheld the universe to keep everyone from being really corrupt, but it also released in people the grace to do significant things in the earth, whether or not they had submitted their life to God. One of the things that I love to do when I travel to different places is that, and maybe some of you are thrown off that I quoted Calvin there. <laughs> Calvin had a lot of really awesome things about him. I don't agree with all of it. but Do you know that Calvin was called into Geneva and actually they asked him what the city was in such bad shape. They said, would you please come in and institute biblical principles to help us disciple this city? Calvin did what most, a lot of people in the spheres that I run in got to do, would wish they had the opportunity to do. And many of the banking systems and the free market systems that he created are still results of the biblical system that he instituted. He's known for a theory or an understanding of how people get saved and all this other stuff. But to me, that was his most significant contribution in the earth. And anyway, back to my story about stadiums. I love to, I don't know, I'm, I've been, since I was a little kid, I'm fascinated by architecture. Uh, I, I just love being in stadiums. I love taking tourist stadiums. I was in Arizona in May, and I got to see the, where the Cardinals play, and I got a whole tour of it, and I took pictures. I'm just fascinated by it. And I, and I know some of these, these, these architects, they're not in any way believers, but they create the most fascinating stuff. And it's something, and you see it in every realm. I just use it from my own personal perspective that you can look at a piece of art and say, that is amazing. It's because they were made in the image of God. And, but... Can you imagine what could be released and co-labored with the people of God as we walked in the glory that God has given us and as we partner with the Lord and as we understood who we are in God to release things in the earth that's never been before been created? I believe that's the heart of God. Selah. Are there any questions? Pause. <laughs> I mean, I could talk all night, but I don't think it'll be any fun. I think we learn from each other. <laughs> okay, so everybody understood what I was talking about. You got some, you, you, I think he wants to get everything on recorded, so go ahead. What is your name? Uh, my name is Steve. Steve? Yeah. Go ahead, Steve. Uh, well, what God's been showing me uh, is that if I yield, if I yield, if I submit to him, that um, uh, one thing is like the violin. He said if I submit to him, he'll flow through me and we'll play music that's never been played before. Mm. That, that kind of thing. Yeah. So that absolute surrender and letting him be Lord, but just walking with him every day and heaven will come to earth. Yeah. There, I, I totally agree with that. I've had this sense over the last 
week and a half or something. And it's like I understood it in my mind, but I've had this sense that we are God's instrument that he wants to play. And there's something unique that he wants to play through all of us. And if we can discern that individual waltz that he has for us, when we step into line, he plays a beautiful rhythm through us. I don't know any other way to put it. Go ahead. The last time I was down here, I saw myself as a string instrument. God was playing. I mean, just big strings here. I believe it. I believe it. So here we have, in Genesis 2, verse 15, God not only gives man authority and stewardship, but he actually gives him an ability to fulfill that authority. God's the greatest leader ever. Mm -hmm. There's no mistakes in God. He actually gave man responsibility knowing that he would not make a right choice, but he gave him a choice. Choice goes hand in hand with love. Out of love, he wouldn't control his own creation, even though he knew that they would make a choice that would not be beneficial to them. And he makes them a steward over the garden, and he makes them a steward over the garden, and he also, again, in this, shows us how God thinks and his heart, even in how he relates towards the earth. In, in our understanding, and this is one of the things that the Lord is trying to eradicate from our thinking as believers, in our thinking, we have certain things that we know are just the most important things. We understand worship and Bible study and church, you know, being involved in ministry and laying hands on the sick, that's really the most important thing and getting people saved. But this is the heart of God that he, oh, the other thing is after he made Adam and Eve, he was done and they rested. That's like incredibly, there's just an incredible understanding that the Lord is releasing there because you imagine like, hey, by the way, you're in charge of the earth. I'm putting everything in your hands. Pretty big job. And then the day after he gives him that job, he's like, well, since I'm in charge now, there's got to be a lot to do, right? God didn't give him a day timer. Like, here's your job list. He's like, no, just rest in who I've made you to be. Hmm. Identity and responsibility in the kingdom are received by inheritance, and we need to rest in that. There are definitely times where we're violently pursuing and we're violently contending for it. But there are all, many times, though, that is misunderstood as people actually think that they, they need to contend for their identity. And sometimes we approach God in the wrong way where we're actually asking for things that we've already been given. 
you don't need to ask God to bless you financially if you're struggling. It's not Russian roulette. God doesn't have certain, certain of his children. It's like, well, I've just really chosen to bless him and you. Mm, I don't know. Mm. You've been poor your whole life. You're probably going to be poor. That's not how God thinks. It just doesn't exist in the heart of God. So he causes them to, I mean, I, I just can't imagine. I mean, I could see like maybe Adam's like a little overwhelmed and he's like, man, what am I going to do? I'm in charge now, you know. Take the day off, Adam. <laughs> and so God gives him responsibility. And I was talking about these, our understanding sometimes as believers. And, and, if, and if we were to make certain choices, we, we would say, the most important thing is, you know, if we had like a day to live, I'm sure, and it wouldn't be wrong, I'm sure we would call like all our unsaved relatives and things like that, you know. And, and that w- there wouldn't be anything wrong with that. But in the heart of God, he puts Adam in the garden to take care of it. And it gives us an understanding into how God thinks. And that is, there is no distinction in secular and spiritual because all the earth is God's. And everything that we do as, as sons and daughters of God can be a reflection of his glory. We know that some of us are called to, quote unquote, be in full-time ministry, but in the heart of God, we are all in full-time ministry. And the sad truth is that even as leaders, we think because somebody is, maybe we, we see their commitment and their love for God and even the anointing upon their life, we automatically assume that they should be in leadership in ministry. We're all supposed to be on fire for God. We're all supposed to walk in signs and wonders. But each of us has been given, maybe I don't, I'm throwing a lot of stuff out there, but we carry the greatest authority when we step into the assignment that we've been given. And so in the heart of God, there is no spiritual and secular. It's all God's. It's all, it's all His destiny for planet earth to be filled and released with the knowledge of God. It's all his plan for, for, for land and cities and regions to be redeemed by him. And so we know that Adam and Eve made a choice and that choice took them outside of living in constant glory. The earth was glorious. Their communion with God was glorious. But God has no, it's like, I know what people are trying to say, but I just don't think it's good language. We're like, well, this was God's plan B, you know, like. Like God doesn't have plans, you know. Jesus was a lamb slammed before the very foundation of the earth. It's not like he was thrown off in heaven. It's a divine mystery that he gives choice, but he still knows what's going to happen. <laughs> I know it's caused a lot of upheaval over the last 10 years or something because someone dared to say that God actually responds to the choices of people, you know. 
but God's heart was still for the whole earth. And so he makes covenant, and he decides to make covenant with a man that will act, will, uh, oh God, I know, I, 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 when I say these things, it fascinates me. God makes covenant with a man that will eventually become a nation. Wow. <laughs> because in God's heart, when he speaks to you, and when he speaks to me, he actually sees your life as a conduit in the continuum of eternity that even what he speaks to you, he's speaking through your life. He's like, through your life, as you, as you walk with me, I'm going to begin to create a momentum where nations will come to me. Because his heart is so focused on redeeming the earth. And that the decisions that you make are actually to... Okay. And that the decisions that you make are supposed to cause a momentum for people who will come hundreds of years after you. And so he makes covenant with the man and he said, out of you, I'm going to create a nation and this nation was Israel. And when God makes covenant with the man and when he makes covenant with the group of people, it's forever. Just a thought. Totally different sermon, but God, I won't get into all this because it causes a lot of questions that I don't want to get into. But Israel is still God's chosen people. Still very much on God's heart. There is no such thing as the occupied territory. I'll just tell you that. There's not. If you understand it historically, it's a myth that's been fabricated. The PLO was created by Egypt, Syria, and other nations to destroy Israel. You're like, are you getting political? No, I'm just informing people. You know, I'm just going to say this. I, I understand what people are saying when they're like, well, we don't want to teach politics from the pulpit. I don't think God is Republican or Democrat, but I do think it is the responsibility of leaders in the body of Christ to inform people of what truth is. And there, honestly, there is no such thing as that. And if it was really about that occupied territory, when Bill Clinton said to Yasser Arafat, the thing that they had been asking for for all those years, we'll give you 95% of it, and he still said no. Because really what the agenda is is the destruction of Israel. And if all those countries could do it, they would do it in a moment, but they can't because the hand of God is upon that nation. And while they allow their people, their own people, their own Palestinians to live in poverty, Israel has flourished. Israel's not perfect, but they are still God's chosen people. Sorry. It's been something that's really disturbed me over the last few months. 
So God makes covenant with the nation. And in the middle of making covenant, we go down the line and he, and he makes Moses his leader of this nation that will take them out. And he gives them these instructions. And we find this in Exodus, the 25th chapter. By the way, are there any questions? I, I, I know I said a lot, so you can't ask questions about the whole Israel. It's not fair to just throw things out there. <laughs> You say, yeah, ask questions. Just don't ask questions about that. <laughs> Exodus, the 25th chapter. Moses is raised up. We know that Israel is, uh, they, they go into bondage under Egypt, 400 years. God raises up Moses. And he tells them to do this, Exodus, the 25th chapter, verse 8. Then have them... Make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle. Fascinating verse again. And one of the reasons I pointed out in Genesis 1 that God said, let us create the heavens and the earth. Moses is actually having this visitation from God on this mountain. And he tells them, and he tells them to build the tabernacle according to what you saw on the mountain, which is actually what already existed in heaven. And again, God is in this process of restoring what he originally intended. Earth was supposed to be a place where man was a steward, and as he walked with God, it would reflect heaven where God was Lord over all. So this prayer that Jesus gives to tell us to, to pray that heaven would come to earth is not just this new idea that God came up with when, he took, when Jesus was teaching them to pray. It was actually in the very heart of God. And he tells them to build this tabernacle that they, that, and again, this key word is dwell because God's desire is to commune with his people. That was his number one desire with, with Adam and Eve. And, he, and he's back on this, this course where he's going to find a people that will dwell with him. That word dwell is significant because it's abide, a dwelling place, a sanctuary. Those are all that those words mean. It's highly significant because uh, in in Revelation 21, that same word dwell is used when it says, and the dwelling place of God has now come with man. The sanctuary of God has now come with man. That's the end of the story. I believe that I believe there are certain things set into motion that won't change, but I believe many much of what looks like in the end days will be determined by the decisions people like us make in this room. That I may dwell with them. And God is very specific in what he wants to create because he's creating a place that they may dwell with him. And and so God, it's interesting because Moses sees all this and and sees and God tells him furnish it exactly as I have told you and then he gets people with skilled wisdom to build this place that God wanted to build encounter plus wisdom creates a place where God will abide a lot of people have understanding and encounter but they don't have the wisdom and revelation to bring it to pass it's a tragedy to have an anointing to defeat Goliaths in your life, but, but not the strategy to do it. 
And so he says, build me a place that I may dwell. And it's, it, it, I'd really encourage you to study the tabernacle of Moses because this is known as the tabernacle of Moses because it's mentioned 13 times alone in the book of Hebrews. Highly significant. Three places were three-part beings. Jesus rose on the third day. In the middle was the Ark of the Covenant. Also part of it was the, um, what do they call it? The testimony. John, what was the thing called with the testimony? Anyway, the prophetic history was also in there. <laughs> and so they finish this tabernacle known as the Tabernacle of Moses, and this is what happens. By the way, it took nine months for the Tabernacle of Moses to be completed. That's really interesting, too. Mary had to have Jesus in her womb for nine months. So they finished this, and this is Exodus, the 40th chapter, verse 33. Then Moses set up the courtyard around the tabernacle and altar and put up the curtain at the entrance of the courtyard, and so Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud that had settled upon it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and the fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the house of Israel during all their travels. Fascinating. They, were, they had a system in place where what God said, I want to build so I can dwell, came with his glory. The same glory that was resident and expressed at creation, now the glory came to the place that he decided to build. And that glory was resident in physical form as a, as a mark upon the people who were supposed to follow God. And they didn't move without that presence with them. It was a perfect, God often plays out sermons to show us what he desires to do in the earth. The Apostle Paul said, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 46, it's not the spiritual first, but the natural and then the spiritual. He was actually showing us a sermon. As you'll obey me, my glory comes and it will be a significant mark of what's supposed to set you apart from the other nations in the earth. The story didn't end there. The story actually got better. You can read it in Chronicles and also in 2 Samuel chapter 7. David, the man after God's own heart, and that's significant because the man after God's own heart looks out one day, and when he looks out one day, he's like, God, you hooked the brother up. MTV Cribs, baby. You got me a nice house. But you're in that tent. And what he's referring to was the tent called the t uh, a tent of meeting and was known as the tabernacle of David. David, a seer, the Bible calls him a prophet, saw something in his, he saw something in, 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 as he walked with the Lord and he saw a time where Jew and Gentile could come before the Lord. He actually violated the law by doing this. I want to ask God about this. 
and he created a place where Jew and Gentile could worship the Lord 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And he created an order known as the Davidic order of worship. He created a new order of worship in his day. I believe very significantly, I believe that we're in an hour, the Lord is creating a new order of worship in the earth. But he had it in a tent. And the worship was led by seers. And actually, the musical instruments were on wheels. And the seers would say, well, we see God's coming over. He's over there in a cloud. So they would wheel everything over to where God was. It's a little different than our American services. It was God-sensitive. And as they went over there, they would just embrace what God was doing as they saw it. You watch it. Seers were appointed. And so David has created this place. And and every time uh, seven subsequent kings instituted that worship, and when they instituted it, military judicial uh, uh, victory would be won. What's the point? Put God first. (laughs) And things happen correctly. He creates this place, and the glory of God comes. He looks out, and he sees And he looks out and he's like, man, I got a really nice place. You've built this for me. We need a place for you. It irritated him that God didn't have a place for himself. What irritates you is usually what you're called to. Remember, you used to be on staff at a church, people... You know, I really think we need to do this in the church. It was like, praise God, you're in charge. <laughs> Go do it. <laughs> anyway. Nathan comes back after saying, dude, all that's in your heart is like, you've shed too much blood, but I'm going to allow you to create an inheritance that your heir will build a temple and my presence will come. Some translations actually say, I will make your name famous. God is definitely not religious. And if you study the life of David, the latter latter half of his life is spent preparing all the things necessary for Solomon to build a temple for God. What happened when he built the temple? When he finished consecrating the temple and he prays this prayer, that famous prayer, if my people will humble themselves and pray, that's actually at the consecration of the temple. The glory of God comes and the priests could not minister. Story didn't end there though. In the Bible, it just keeps getting better and better. Look at John. Pause. 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 Does anyone have any questions? 
such a good teacher. They have no questions. They understand everything. Yeah, that's true. We're being positive, though. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made, without nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and met, but darkness has not understood it. The Word became flesh, this is verse 14, and made His dwelling among us. (laughs) We have seen His glory and the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. What's the point? Everything that God builds and everything that He intends, He intends to fill it with His glory. God visits the place man makes. He abides and dwells in what he makes. And so the the dwelling place of God, God himself, the Christos, came and dwelt among us. And he tabernacled amongst us. And he modeled for life what God had intended for every son and daughter of God. And he ripped open the temple veil, and he didn't just restore us to Genesis 1. He actually made it better. Because in the garden, they walked with God. Now, He actually lives in us. Understanding, in my understanding, understanding the complete picture of being filled with the Holy Spirit is much bigger than just speaking in tongues and prophecy. It actually looks like God rests upon you. 1 Corinthians 6, Do you not know You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. A few verses later, the Apostle Paul says, If anyone is in Christ, he is one spirit with him. Look at this, John 17. My prayer, this is, excuse me, verse 20. Excuse me. John 17, verse 20. 
second time. My prayer is not for them alone. I really, really encourage you when you get a chance, read John 17 over and over again because Jesus is about to go to the cross and he articulates his heart here for humanity. My prayer is not for them alone. I also pray for those who will believe in me through your message, that they may all be one, Father, just as, just as you are in me and I am in you. Remember Genesis 1, verse 26. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were three distinct persons, but one God. Jesus was there And he was the one who created the universe because it came through the spoken word of God. And they have this one and this synergy. I believe that God's biggest, Jesus' biggest anguish, excuse me, when he went to the cross was, yes, I think he understood the physical torture he's about to undergo. That was rough enough. But the, the, the biggest anguish in the heart of God was for the first time that we ever know of, God, the Son, He was fully God, fully man. He emptied Himself of His divinity, Philippians 2. But He was about to be separated from the Father for the very first time in history. Though He came to earth, He was fully God, fully man. He understood that He could be one with His Father. That's why His ministry carried so much glory upon it because He was the exact representation of the Father and He was in complete submission to the Father's will and so it carried the authority of a different world upon it. And the world had never seen anything like that. And so He never separated His oneness from the Father. And so He prays that that same oneness that... the that he has, he sees praying that they would come into it. And that same glory, this is even more of a mystery, you'll read it in a minute, that same glory that he had when he stood with the Father and, and, and was part of the creation of the world, he prays that we would step into. Just as you are in me and I am in you. You think Jesus was one with the Father? May they also be one, and this is fascinating, he said, may they also be one that the world may believe that you sent me. Why should they be one? So people would believe. I know that this is often used to speak of God's desire for unity, and I believe that's a secondary meaning. I believe you can have multiple meanings. I don't believe that's the primary intention of what Jesus is praying here. Verse 22, I have given them the glory that you gave me. Wow. That they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and I have loved them even as you love me. Father, I want those you have given me to be where I am and to see my glory. Think it was glorious to create the world? (laughs) For the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. 
and I have made them known to you, and I will continue to make you known in order that the, the love that you have for me may be in them, and that I myself may be in them. <laughs> God, through Jesus, through the cross of God, has actually placed you in the very same place of glory and honor. Word glory there in John 17 is interchangeable with what also honor. That's why often a religious spirit works to take away the honor that's been given to the sons and daughters of God. So Jesus placed us in the very same place. Excuse me, the Father placed us in the very same place as Jesus so he could honor us and crown our life with great glory. And so the Lord, I believe, is releasing to us an understanding of even the riches that are available in him. The Apostle Paul is one who put language to this understanding when he said we're seated in heavenly places. And Jesus, also in John 17, he said this is eternal life. Eternity is without beginning, without end. That's why God's a Pentecostal. He doesn't have a watch. He's giving us understanding of who he's intended us to be. This is eternal life that they may know you. We've been given and we step into an eternal realm. And that realm is looked through the continuation of ongoing intimacy and encounter with him. There are realms in God. That's the only way I know how to describe it. There are realms of God. There are realms and rooms available for you in the place of encounter that are exclusively reserved for you. And he won't force you to go into it, but by the grace of God, when you say yes, there's a grace release and there's a grace even in your heart to draw near to God that you begin to access these places that God has for you. Many are called, but few are chosen. Everybody's invited. And one of the things that the Lord is doing, and I'm going to go back to Genesis because I believe it represents, through this person, it represents the type of person that God is raising up and releasing in the earth. Look at Genesis chapter 5. And you find, um, what? (laughs) It gets better. (laughs) But that word walked is constant and familiar discourse. And... uh, Remember reading one commentary. One commentary actually says that Jewish history says that um, that obviously is not in the Bible, but historically we can understand it. 
that Enoch went to Adam and Enoch was seven generations from Adam and because people lived for such a long time, Adam was still alive. And he went to Adam and he asked him one day, he said, what was it like to walk with God before the fall? They said that Adam didn't like talking about that. I wouldn't either. Perfect, not perfect, your fault. <laughs> That'll send you to inner healing the rest of your life. <laughs> On the couch of Dr. Phil, you know, you can see. So do you take any responsibility for ruining the earth? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, what were you thinking? Gets his wife on there. You talk to Eve. (laughs) Now that's Jerry, this is is Dr. Phil. He's real, man. Jerry's stuff's not real. So, (laughs) So Enoch walked with God. And it's the first instance of us finding of, a, of, of the Bible saying that a man walked with God. And we have the understanding once again that the first time we see something in Scripture begins to define it for the rest of Scripture. Law of first reference. And so if Enoch is the man that walked with God and he never died. In the book of he's actually in the hall of fame of faith, it says he entered in and he was not. There are things available to us to access by faith that are far beyond this world. And the second thing is, I want to point out, I feel like Enoch represents a type of person and a type of remnant that the Lord is raising up in this hour to be a people who walk in constant and familiar discourse with God. The same historical understanding tells us that um, God would actually take and show Adam secrets of the universe that he had created and give him understanding of the world in which he lived in. I believe When Jesus said, there are still many things I have to tell you, I believe that often it was like Jesus like steps out of heaven and had all of this stuff that he wanted to tell people, but most of them couldn't bear it and most of them didn't have an operating system for him to release it. And so he, he, I believe because he was just just the, the greatest teacher that there ever was, he stepped into their level and began to teach in parables, even though I don't think that it was maybe his, his deepest desire, but he had, to give them, he had to give them some sort of understanding that they would understand it. And I believe that the Lord is releasing to the people of God a wineskin to contain the stuff and the understanding that he wants to give us about the universe because he's intended us to be a good steward over it. He said, I still have many things to tell you. It doesn't ever go beyond Scripture. The stuff stuff in Scripture is is fascinating enough for me to try and apprehend. (laughs) Like, I'm not interested in having experiences that I don't even know in the Bible. I'm still trying to get on that path where I actually, like Jesus said, you'll do greater works than me. If you believe, you'll do the same. I'm still working on the works that he did. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm still working on having the encounters that are actually in the Bible. <laughs> and so what the Lord has intended and what he intended through the people of God, through his chosen people, through his church, is that he would create a group of people. Isaiah 9 verse 7, Isaiah 9 verse 7 he created a group of people who would live out of the realm of constant encounter with God. And he said, of the increase of his government, there will be no end. And he gave them this impossible commission in Matthew 28. He gave them this impossible commission, Matthew 28. Go, all authority has been given unto me. Only 11 people there on that, on that mountain. It said some of them were doubting and they're worshiping God. And he says, all authority has been given unto me. Now go and make disciples of nations. He didn't tell them just to preach to people that they would be born again. He didn't tell them just to get people saved and get them in a church and make them part of, uh, uh, you know, your church. And then one day, you know, raise good families and then they go, you know, to heaven. He said, go and make disciples of nations. Again, the theme found all through scripture of God's desire to redeem the earth. And he gives them this impossible commission, but then he sends them on this continuum. He sends them on this continuum of deep encounter with him because he gives them authority, but he says, hey, you'll need to receive an encounter from me to get there because what does he tell them? Don't leave Jerusalem. Again, the application of wisdom to go in, to begin to go into the fulfillment of that prophetic word. And most prophetic words create a climate where you can step into encounters with God to become in eternity what he's already seen you as. I don't know what I just said. You'll have That's right. There you go. That's it. That's what I meant to say. Mm -hmm. Hope I said it correctly. And often, we, if we've read that story of what happened on the day of Pentecost over and over again, you know, and we, I would, we'd constantly, you know, they'd read that story at my Assembly of God Church over and over again. And the emphasis often was they spoke in other tongues. I'm not against that. Tongues are good. I hope you speak in tongues. I like to speak in tongues when I'm washing dishes, when I'm doing lots of stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. But if you think about it, they receive the commission and then a word and then they're in a place that they're about to receive a filling and an encounter from God that no one else in the earth has ever received. Can you imagine being in a room and saying, hey, we got a promise, we got this word, we got this word about going to nations, and, and we also have this word that we have to wait here to receive power from a high, and they're about to receive an encounter from God that no one else in the earth has ever received. 
we're at that same place. That we'll need encounters with God to go, encounters with God that we've never had before as a people of God to enter into what God has for us. And the early church is birthed into this climate where conflict was just part of the world in which they lived. You were born to thrive in an environment where you're not afraid of conflict. The Lord is a man of war. And he's made you a warrior. Because even in this world where he's called us to steward, he takes great desire in in partnering with us to see us overcome every situation. I hate to say it, but God kind of gets excited when he puts problem when he allows problems in your life. It's kind of a weird way of looking at life, but it's actually true. Because his delight is us living out of this realm, this this gift called faith where we're not moved by what we see, but we're moved by him because he's king over all. And as we submit to him, we're able to release his dominion and lordship because it's his lordship that overcomes every situation. He wants to create a group of people in this hour who are not moved and and often that is the defensive posture that many sons and daughters live from. They live in reaction to the world around them instead of actors in history because they, are not, they don't live with a consciousness of the presence of God in everything that they do. It's interesting that when Jesus said in Matthew 4, verse 4, man shall not live by bread alone, he's speaking that to Satan when the enemy is bombarding him at his weakest moment. The enemy doesn't come to you like when you're strong, you know. (laughs) Actually says Jesus was hungry. (laughs) And he says, I'm not going to live by what you're saying. I only move by what heaven sees. So they receive power from on high. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. They begin to model being the temple of God. And they live in this continuum that's not determined by the world in which they live in. In fact, they thrive in a world of conflict. Because heaven is their real home. And they begin to live out Isaiah's prophecy of the increase of his government, there will be no end. Remember Genesis 1, he said, be fruitful and multiply. Jesus was the chief modeler of multiplying himself. His, chief, his chiefest joy was to set a place where people would come after him and do even what he did, but great, and in greater measure. He, re, he reproduced himself. 
His highest goal was creating a platform for people to come after him and do great things. If not, he, he would have just taken us all home when he, when he, when he went to the cross. You know? He said, no, I'm going to create a, a way so you can do it better than I did it. Because I'm going to give you all the tools that I had when I was upon this earth. The inheritance and the grace available to the believers, I believe, has only been tapped into in kindergarten form to the people of God. So they thrive in this world, in this system, and in this world where there's conflict. And Peter, who's filled with the Holy Spirit... In Acts 3, Peter and John are on the way to the temple. You know, I could just see they're probably praying in tongues. Peter still got rumba ba Yeah, I got it too, man. And they see this guy. They see this guy who's been lame, and they probably, most scholars will tell you, they probably saw him many times before that. He's, Peter looks at him intently. Silver and gold I have not. We didn't have the faith seminar in our church yet. They haven't got the thing about prosperity. We're getting to it though. But what I do have, encounter with God and understanding authority convinces you of who you are. Interesting. What I do have. He would probably be accused of being arrogant today. What I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Walk. And he stood the man up. I always wonder when I read that story, would he have gotten healed if Peter hadn't lifted him up? Because it says that Luke says, at once his bones became sturdy. I always wonder, like, if he had lifted him up, if he didn't act on his faith, does he get healed? And then conflict comes. You're like, that stuff that you're doing, we don't like that. In this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. God has overcome every situation that you're facing today. God has put the tools in your hand for victory. God's not a child abuser. He doesn't send evil your way. But he gets pretty excited to put you in a tough situation. And so these same people, plus those being added, and we know book of Acts is not just, didn't happen three or four days. We're talking about, I believe, a period of 70, 80 years. They pray again. Fill with the Holy Spirit, Acts 4. They actually quote scripture. The early church had this high value for scripture. Look to your servants and grant us boldness. They ask God for his glory and his grace and his spirit to fill the place where they had need of. 
and the room they were in shakes. Again, a room fills and Peter is in that room. He already had a good healing ministry. (laughs) He would have been on the cover of Charisma. And the reason I'm pointing this out, and we're going to finish here in a minute, but the reason I'm pointing that out is because the Bible says without a vision, without a revelatory understanding, my people perish. If we don't have a vision, I believe, of where God wants to take us as a people, we won't ever get there. And this is what happens in Acts 5. Acts chapter 5. Acts the 5th chapter. Verse 12, the apostle performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else joined, dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least that Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as they passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. And all of them were healed. Fascinating part about this, and this is not in any way to downgrade teaching, because obviously I believe in teaching since I've unloaded on you tonight. Peter did not teach or preach any sort of message here. I believe he modeled what God's desire and that the glory of God came upon him in such a way that all he had to do was now walk Because he not only had a message, but he became a message, and it influenced all the towns around him. Cloud by day, fire by night. Visible representation of God in the earth. It wasn't just a God idea in Acts. It was a God idea from the very beginning of time. That you would be such a carrier of his glory that it released something into the earth that the world has never seen.
and it was visible and it was demonstrable. And it shook the world in which you live in. I don't know any other way to filter this down except in my own weakness, by the grace of God, I'm learning if I can simply steward my own world, I'll be able to start to understand how to steward the world around me. And I think a healthy question would be to ask ourselves is what does it look like for me to be a temple of the Holy Spirit? And what it would look like for me to be filled with the Holy Spirit over and over and over again. I believe that God wants to redefine what it means for his people to be filled with his spirit and to release his creativity in the earth. Because it's got to be a whole lot bigger than speaking in tongues. In fact, I have some friends, some good friends who are Baptist and maybe at least here Baptist here in the the U.S. sense. When I go to Brazil, my favorite people to go minister are Baptists because they believe in the gifts of the Spirit and all that stuff. But they would say to me, well, I know people who speak in tongues and they don't seem to have more power than me or anything in my ministry. Because it's got to be bigger than that. It's got to be bigger than just a gift. And I believe Peter offers us just a glimpse of what it would look like. Maria Woodworth Edder would be in her tent meetings and she would go, she would be preaching and go into a trance and miles away people would be having encounters with the Lord. Catherine Kuhlman, historical truth. She lived in Pittsburgh and there was such a, a tangible manifestation of the glory of God upon her that when she would go to the airport, the presence of God would come and people would begin to get healed. And she was on her way to a meeting or on her way somewhere. And people would fall and weep and as she was just going to her meeting. It caused, it was such a marked release of the presence of God by her not saying anything that they asked her to let them know, she needed to let them know her schedule because they said, you're causing too much problems, we'll get a private entrance for you. And I believe it's a prophetic picture and an invitation of what God, what God desires for the body of Christ as a whole. We've seen it on certain individuals throughout history. We have yet to see it in full mass through the people of God. But I believe it's God's intention. And I believe it's true that in one generation, he's going to change the face of Christianity in the earth. I don't, I don't say that because I, I'm looking for something popular to teach. It is what I firmly believe to be the will of God for the people of God.
I believe that God wants to remove and break and, and shake, as he says in the book of Hebrews, everything that can be shaken, everything that is not really birthed from heaven, everything, every caricature that we have had that represents, that misrepresents who God is. I believe he's removing it from the people of God, not in a cruel way, but because beautiful King Jesus deserves that representation in the earth. Our problem, our problem is the misrepresentation of him. Because when he's represented accurately, it is as Amos say, he is the desire of the nations. He is what people are looking for. And he is given the responsibility of releasing that pure, spotless bride to us, his sons and his daughters. Lord, thank you. Just lift your hands. Mm. Mm. Thank you, Lord. And I say to you tonight that you are going into a season of encounter that you've never had before. I say that the goodness of the Lord is passing before you. I say things that you've struggled with even in previous seasons, even to see greater breakthrough, are falling at the name of Jesus. I say that God is becoming to you what he could never be. I say that great grace is being released. I say that there's an open door in heaven and the Lord is inviting you to come up higher. Come up higher to his purposes. Come up higher and see as he sees and be clothed with his mind in a way you have not known. I declare over you that there's a revelation of the mind of Christ that is coming upon you tonight. I declare that there are encounters available to you even in the evening hours. I declare that the glory of the Lord is your inheritance. I declare not only do you have the glory of the Lord, but that you are coming into an experience with his glory that you've never had before. I say that this is a wellspring of the glory of the Lord. I say that those who are part of this school are revivalists and reformers. I declare that there are reformers in this room and revivalists amongst us. I declare that we come to honor and know each other after the spirit in this room. We recognize the grace and the calling. I declare and I and I and I bless the artistic giftings in this room. The ability to create paintings that have never before been seen. I I bless the apostolic office that is in this room. I bless who it's called to be. 
I say that there is a shaking in the foundation of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ because God desires a shaking in the church. I say that we will be truth bearers. I say that we will speak life where we've spoken death. I declare that as the book of Proverbs says, good people bless their city. I say that we are people who bless our city. I declare that there is a watchman grace being released over this house tonight that there has not been. Watchmen, intercessory, prophetic grace being released to guard and to keep this region in this area. I declare that this house is called to be a gatekeeping house, a gatekeeper. It is a gate, it is an open portal to the things of heaven. I declare that this is the place where God dwells. I declare that Bethel is becoming part of the foundation of this house. This is a place where the angels ascend and descend. The people of God are people where angels ascend and descend in the name of Jesus. And I declare that there's a language and there's a rhythm being released through the people of God in this house. I declare that, Lord, we... We just, we just, just lift your hands. We, we say we are a living sacrifice, Lord. Take our lives, Lord. Play the instrument of the music of our lives like you never have, Lord. Play a unique sound. And I bless that unique sound that comes through your life. I bless that unique sound that comes through your life. I bless it in Jesus' name. Lord, we say that any, any box, any religious system that has ever held anyone in this room, let it be released. And as by the authority you've given me in the body of Christ, I bless your people to be everything that you've intended them to be. I say that anything, any leader spoken over them that unknowingly hindered them, Lord, we bless it to flow in the name of Jesus. I bless their prophetic giftings. I bless their gift of healings and miracles. I bless the words of knowledge that they have, Lord. And I bless the contribution that they have, Lord, in Jesus' name. I, I, I had this sense there was somebody in this room, you suffered depression, and the Lord just in, thank you, Lord, in this atmosphere is just setting you free of depression. I even feel maybe like you, you might even take medication. So I just say, deliverance now in Jesus' name. I also felt like there was somebody in this room, you had like a, an unsaved son and they, there was real concern about him. And the Lord says, whoever that is, I've given you all the tools for victory as you pray. And as you decree and declare life, you watch, whoa, as the son's eyes are open to you. Thank you, Lord. Hmm. And I don't know who this is, but I had this sense even since this meeting began. There's somebody in here, you, um, you battle pain in your neck. Not that you're pain in the neck, but you have pain in your neck. And the Lord's healing you now. The fire of God's on that right now. You're being, you're being completely made whole tonight in the name of Jesus. It's a, it's a, it's a, that's the word of the Lord for you. You're being healed tonight. Whoa! Rainbow Shaya. And somebody else, I don't know somebody else, but another word of knowledge. You have pain on the bottom of your feet. And the Lord is just healing that condition, whatever that is, the Lord's healing that. Arthritis is being healed right now. Thank you, Lord. I don't know if that same person, but it's like a, I saw like a pain in the neck that somebody has goes down their vertebrae. The Lord is healing that tonight 
completely healing that. The fire, whoa, the fire of God's on that. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. If you would, take a moment and just grab the hands of the person next to you. There's something that happens, and there's like a synergy that runs. I saw this last week at the conference that just runs through. Just, just, just begin to bless that person on your right and your left, and don't do it, don't do it uh, quietly. Just, Lord, we bless that person on our right. Prophesy to them. Speak life. Whatever the Lord puts on your heart. Lord, we, we just, you know what? Just hold on one second. Bless them as a reformer in the assignment and the authority that God's given them. Bless them as a revivalist. Bless them with fire and power. Bless them as one who raises the dead. Lord, we just prophesy to that person on our right or left. We say great grace is coming on their assignment. Greater grace, greater understanding, greater knowledge. Mm, Yeah. Rebo We bless them to be everything you've intended them to be, Lord. We bless them, Lord. We bless great grace upon them. Kamandabasha. I bless you. I bless. I bless. I bless. I bless. I bless. The grace that you have upon you for intercession. I bless even the prophetic acts that you do. And I say you'll hear the voice of the Lord like you never had. I bless your hands for healing. And I, Whoa, 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 whoa. And I say an angel of the Lord is just releasing fresh oil upon you. Fresh oil, the Lord says, daughter, fresh oil for greater glory. Fresh oil for the journey ahead. And I'm breaking off the previous season and I'm releasing fresh oil for the journey ahead. Fresh fire for the journey ahead. Now just declare this final thing over that person. Just declare that they're going from glory to glory. Declare that because that they've set their heart upon God, they'll never be the same for what the Lord's doing this weekend. Ramandarabakaya. Thank you, Lord. Wow, I just feel the fire of God on my hands. And Lord, I just, um, I just prophesy over each person here just a greater recognition of the world of heaven around us. I declare a greater understanding that the kingdom is within you. A greater understanding, the kingdom is here. And I prophesy an understanding of the kingdom that's available here and now. I bless their minds to receive the operating system of heaven 
which is the mind of Christ and an understanding of that. In Jesus' name.